appreciate Jeff. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you're here. And I know it's not because there's food downstairs that you're here. You're here for the food upstairs. Uh, as many of you know, it's Super Bowl 58. It's the biggest football game of the year. It's Detroit versus Kansas City. To, oh, wait. It's almost Detroit. Yeah, sorry. But for here, uh, for us at Life of Purpose, it's Super Bowl IV. This is the fourth year we have done a soup uh, cook-off, uh, if you will, and uh, many people have brought in a soup downstairs, and uh, I want you to go downstairs afterwards and try some soups, help us declare a winner, but more importantly, just enjoy some food and some fellowship, because uh, we like to have these every once in a while. We call them Sticky Sundays. The goal is for you to stick around, meet some new people, make some new friends, enjoy the company, uh, the fellowship of the Lord. So can you do that? Yes, Okay. We even probably have pizza or hot dogs or something else, so if you don't like soup, there's definitely food down there. Enjoy it. Uh, I heard a guy posted on social media that he had purchased two tickets to the Super Bowl. They were on the 50-yard line, but unfortunately, he bought them on the same day that he was scheduled to get married. And so he was looking for someone to take his place, and he said that the wedding is at St. Michael's Church, and Sheila is 5'4", 115 pounds, a good cook, and she'll be wearing a white dress. I don't know if he found someone to take his place or not. I got to tell you, the Super Bowl is really dangerously close to another uh, time of uh, uh, couples, which is what we call Valentine's Day. Some of you are familiar with that. It's possible some people, <coughs> men, were, are going to forget that uh, next week is uh, that, that day where you're supposed to get flowers and cards and candy. Um, you know, it's next Friday, I mean, it's next Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> This is your reminder, okay, guys? I mean, people, uh, just uh, know that uh, you're supposed to recognize the one that's in your life. Don't forget. If for some reason you did forget, and you had to make it up, I suggest the marriage-strengthening dinner coming up in three weeks. Did you sign up for it yet? You can do that. All you have to do is text the church number, the, text, the, the, the keyword marriage. It will bring up a link. And you can come, really limited space, we only have about um, enough space for, uh, I think about 30 couples, and uh, every year we do it, it's a wonderful time, so I encourage you to do that. The timing of the Hallmark Holiday Valentine's Day fits nicely into the preaching plan that I have. Uh, we've been preaching through 2 Corinthians 6. In the last two weeks, I've been talking about the heart, idols of your heart, and cleansing your heart coming out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'll be honest, I wanted to talk about verse 14 last week, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, but when I realized the application of that verse, I just didn't want to breeze by it. So you see it come up on the screen, here it is, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's talking about, generally, the application is, it's talking about uh, marriage. How many of you have heard that verse before applied to marriage? few of us. Okay. Even if you've never heard this verse before, let me ask you this question. How many of you have heard that Christians are not supposed to marry non-Christians? Some of you have heard that before? Okay. It might be new. I, I do understand this can be a sensitive topic for some because some people, some Christians here might be unequally yoked right now. You're in a marriage with an unbeliever. And I also know that some Christians, new Christians, 
I don't always believe that this verse is relevant today. And honestly, this is why some preachers just don't even want to talk about this. They would have gladly breezed over it last week and never brought it up again. But you know me, I'm not like most. I like to tackle the hard stuff because I think God does have real answers for us in his word. So we're going we're gonna to pray for God to um, let this sink in. I know, and I'm so excited to see some young people here because, uh, uh, I would just say, unmarried uh, people here, because I want you to hear this. And I, and I want uh, this to be a message that um, helps and uh, comforts you. So let's pray. Father, may your word today tra- change us. May it, may it sink in. As, as Hebrews tells us, your word is living and active, and it's sharp like a sword, and it, it cuts down into our soul and spirit, divides it, because nothing... Nothing that's going on in our lives you're not aware of, God. So God, as you know us, you know every hair on our head, you know us deeply. Father, may you speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title I gave for the message, Equally Yoked. Equally Yoked, nice couple there on their wedding day. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-7-1 is the passage that we're going to cover And last week I did end with a passage in Matthew, which is a familiar one from Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Many of us love this verse, because he says, I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then we think about Paul's words, where he says, do not yoke yourself Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then you have to ask yourself the question, what is this yoke that he's talking about? Is it this yoke? Picture? Yes! Is this the one that Paul and Jesus are talking about? The egg yoke. The answer is no. It's the next picture. The next picture is the picture of a yoke which is used in farming. All you city folk don't know what this is, but some of you might have grew up on a farm or may have seen this and me talk about it in the past. A yoke was used in farming. Last week I pointed out that the Bible is full of physical examples that represent spiritual truths. This is one of those, the yoke. What did a yoke do in farming? Well, as you can see, two animals, usually two oxen, would be put in the yoke, bound together, Physically, not able to go their separate ways. They would have to go only one way. That was so that the farmer could control them and um, make them go on the path that he wanted them to go. So Jesus and Paul use these as an example as well because symbolically this represents binding two people together on the same spiritual path. On the same spiritual path. So I want to read to you the whole passage so you really see what Paul was saying when he said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Paul goes on to say, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You're going to see some opposites here. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then Paul reminds us 
that we are temples of the living God. And then he goes back to talk about in Exodus, how God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among my people. They will be, I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Meaning, go out from those that are not like them. Be separate from them. That means to be holy, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. And then, chapter 7, verse 1, which probably should be the end of this chapter 6. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I just can't emphasize this enough to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be holy. Holiness is a big deal for God. I mean, his message to, the, to the, um, God, to his own people, to the, to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, could be summed up in one verse. Be holy, because I am holy. And Peter reiterates it in the, in the New Testament. It's the same message to us, the church, the Christians today. Be holy as I am holy. Holiness means set apart for God and for his purposes. And so here in 2 Corinthians 6, the emphasis is on relationships holy relationship. He doesn't want you to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And what that means exactly or specifically is is that you should not enter into any personal commitment or excuse me, permanent commitment with anyone that is not a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you won't be spiritually compatible. See, you will want to do God's will as a Christian but they will want to do their will. And if you're yoked together, you can only go one way. It's either God's way or their way. And that's a problem. That is a big problem. So this verse applies to all relationships, not just marriage, but marriage is really the most permanent marriage, I think, that we have. Permanent yoke, I guess. So I would say, in essence, marriage is the biggest yoke of all. And uh, so sticking with the farm analogies, I can tell you, this isn't my first rodeo. I've taught on this before. I know your pushback. I know some of the questions that are rolling around in your mind right now. And it's not because I'm a mind reader, it's because I've taught this before, I've talked with young people before, I've talked with new Christians before, I know some of the questions you have in your mind. Some of those questions are, what if he's gorgeous? (laughs) What if she is smoking hot an 11 on a scale from 1 to 10? Come on, pastor. Give me something. And by the way, we're in love. We're in love. What if I'm in love, you're thinking? Not puppy love, you know, real, genuine love. Here's another question you might have. What if I can change him? What if I can convince them to become a Christian? Then we're all set. Question number three you might have. What if I already married an unbeliever? Am I supposed to get divorced? Question number four. How does this apply to all of my relationships? Does this mean that I'm only supposed to be friends with 
Christians? Now, I came up with those based on all of my experience, but maybe you have a different question in mind. I would encourage you to put that on your connection card. You can even text it right to our, our church number if you have a question. Put it down. I'd like to know what your question is, what you were thinking. And then put it, uh, if, if you put it on the card, put the card on the blue high top table there in the basket, and I'll try to get back to you. If, or if you just want to do it anonymous, that's okay too. That'll help me for future teachings on this. But these are questions that I believe people have, you might have. Just out of curiosity, if you were thinking any of those things, would you raise your hand, be bold enough to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm wondering about that. Okay, just a few of you. Well, the rest of you, I guess, go ahead. Get some soup. I'll see you you down there. (laughs) Kidding. Stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. Let's go through these questions, uh, the answers that God has. What if you think you found the one? Everything you have ever dreamed of. What if you believe you're in love, but they're not a Christian? You know, what if you're there already, you're in a relationship, and and it's with someone that's not a Christian? i got to tell you that I've done a lot of weddings, and when I'm asked to officiate a wedding... I do require premarital counseling. I use a book. The book that I go through with the couple is very thorough and helpful. There's two chapters in there, three and four, where the couple is asked to honestly evaluate their relationship, examine their compatibility, specifically spiritual compatibility. And if a red flag pops up with their spiritual compatibility, the suggestion is to put things on hold. That works great if they started the book when he put the ring on the finger. But usually... When I'm asked to officiate the wedding, uh, they're already, uh, you know, knee-deep in non-refundable deposits. <laughs> yeah, so they're like at the point of no return, even though I'm pretty sure the cost of divorce will be way more than those deposits. Spiritual compatibility is supposed to be the first thing you think about when you evaluate your relationship. But I know what often overrules that, what overrules everything when you're in love for the first time, or with, with someone for the first time. And that is your feelings. Your feelings. The overwhelming feelings of love. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, or ever really even thought about it, but when you're in love with someone for the first time, your brain releases chemicals. Basically, you're on drugs. Love drugs oxytocin, dopamine. Your brain is flooding your body with these wonderful feelings. And and honestly, you can't even think straight, can you? You can't really evaluate anything. You don't even care because you're in love. It's a great feeling. But any of us that have been in a relationship longer than a couple years know that those drugs wear off. (laughs) The brain simmers down. Reality sets in. You can see things a little more clearly. The expression we use is, the honeymoon's over. The brain drugs will wear off. And that's when you realize you cannot base your relationship on feelings. Feelings come and go. Feelings change all the time. And I agree, love is a feeling, but it is also an action verb. And 1 Corinthians 13 has taught me so much about love. When I was considering asking Jamie to be my uh, wife, 
I, had to, I was um, nervous because my parents had divorced and I didn't want to end up divorced. And so I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, thankfully, and saw that love was not a feeling. It was an action verb. It's patient. It's kind. It's not envious or prideful. It's not arrogant or rude. It rejoices with the truth. It endures all things. This kind of love, this biblical love, Christian love, never ends. And this is the love you want your marriage to be built on. Amen? Amen. Yes. I tell my children all the time, I've told Ellie since she was a little girl, if you marry someone that doesn't know the love of Jesus, they won't know how to love you the way you deserve to be loved. And I believe that wholeheartedly. They won't understand this love, a love that endures all things and never gives up. A love that dismisses divorce as an option. A love that works through all of the obstacles. A love that forgives and keeps on forgiving. I know that it's popular today to believe you should follow your heart. I just saw it in a movie yesterday I was watching. Follow your heart. But you know what the Bible says about your heart? You know what Jeremiah the prophet says? Your heart's deceitful. Proverbs warns us, guard your heart. You can't trust it. So I hope what I've shared so far will discourage you from following those feelings because they will change. They often can't be trusted. What do you follow? What should you trust? Your mind renewed by God's Word. Because God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He can be trusted. So if you're in love, and maybe you're heading down that, that path towards marriage, I want to offer you some great advice. My mother gave to me when I met Jamie and started dating her. She said, wait a year, don't make any big decisions. Go through all the holidays together. And i got to be honest with you, that took a lot of pressure off, a lot of pressure, uh, and it allowed some of those chemicals to kind of you know, wear off a little bit and uh, see clearly And I will tell you that uh, we dated for five years before we got married, but for the first two years, we were not Christians. By the grace of God, he opened our eyes in the midst of our dating and helped us see clearly. And actually, it was at that point we got baptized, we became spiritually compatible, and uh, what a blessing um, that is, that was God's plan. So I encourage you to seriously examine spiritual compatibility If you're in a relationship, thinking about marriage, God says it's the first thing you should do. How will this work if you are light, walking in the light, and he or she is walking in the darkness? How will it work if you follow Jesus, and he or she follows the world? You're going two different ways. But you're yoked together. It doesn't work. And here's the big thing. You won't produce the same fruits. I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit. I want to give you some practical applications, reasons why Christians shouldn't enter into permanent commitments with non-Christians. And I never believe that saying the Bible says so is an acceptable answer. You know, if you're a kid uh, and your parent says, don't do that, and you say, why? And they say, because I said so. You never like that answer, do you? It's never enough. You want to know why. And so I want to tell you why. I don't want to just say to you, 
well, you shouldn't marry a non-Christian because 2 Corinthians 6.14 says so. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Please don't throw scripture in people's faces. Help them see why. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm helping you see why Paul said this. There's some real reasons here. God uh, has uh, uh, called us all as such a, for such a time as this to share the truth of God's word, to be ready in season and out of season. You never know when you're going to be asked to give a real reason why this is what it is. So the first thing is, the first reason or application to not be unequally yoked has to do with love. Love. Let me ask you a simple question. Who does a Christian love the most? The answer is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Correct. Who does a non-Christian love the most? Not God. I give you three answers to that. They might love themselves the most. And what, what, what is the outcome of that? Well, selfishness. And that's never good in a relationship, is it? Supposed to put the other person first. They may love you more than anything else. And that sounds wonderful. Oh my goodness, they love me the most. There's a problem with that. You become their God. People don't make very good gods. So it's bad if they actually love you the most. They may love the things of the world more than anything else. And that would give them multiple idols in their heart, which I talked about two weeks ago. So when two people love two different things the most, that will breed jealousy. Think about it. It breeds jealousy. They will always be jealous of your love for Jesus. They won't understand why you love God more than them. They will never get it. That by loving God the most, actually allows you to love them more than humanly possible. A supernatural love we have for people because we understand the love of God. It's amazing. Now the second reason not to be unequally yoked is joy. Imagine this. Imagine something in your life brings you unbelievable joy. I mean, you are so happy because of this thing. Completely content because of this thing. Won't you want to share this with your spouse? This thing that brings you so much joy? Of course. Well, for a Christian, what brings us more joy than anything else is worshiping God. When we worship God, we get joy that is incomparable to anything the world has to offer. Now think about it. You have all of this joy, yet your spouse isn't a believer. They're not going to get it. And they probably won't want to hear about this joy that you have from worshiping God. So this amazing thing that's happening in your life over and over and over again, this joy that you have, you can't share with the one person whom you're supposed to share everything with. You see the problem? It's a big problem. Joy. Third reason is peace. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, I've said these things to you 
so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world. We live in a world full of trouble, don't we? Lots of trials going on, lots of tribulations. In fact, more and more people today are struggling from or with mental health. Stress, anxiety, worry are at all-time highs. It's a new pandemic. And I think this often begins in the home. Because in the home, there is a lack of peace in many homes. I think when COVID happened back in 2020, and people were forced to stay at home, I think that exposed a lot of dysfunctions in families and in marriages. And it was a very difficult time for many people, and they found no peace. Yet, for some who are in a Christian marriage, they may have found that time at home to be a wonderful time of trusting in God when the world was scared, fearful. Yet in the home, there could have been wonderful peace. Two people trusting in God, just like Jesus said. It could have been a time of rest and recovery. The world's falling apart, but Jesus said, in me you'll have peace. That's what happens when you have two people that are spiritually compatible. A final reason I give is patience. Love, joy, peace, and patience. You know, there's one way to yoke up with someone that's pretty permanent, and that is to have a child with them. That's a permanent commitment with someone. Children are wonderful, they're precious, but they often test our patience, don't they? I think one of the biggest challenges in life is raising a child. Anybody else agree with that? I know when our two were little, they tested our marriage more than ever because when they're little, they're needy. Yes, they're little wedges. They just drive a wedge sometimes between you and your spouse or you and your partner uh, because I know that marriages or um, people have children outside of marriage all, all the time and, and that, that is becomes a problem. So imagine... Having children together and raising them differently. I mean, if you're a Christian and you have a child, you want them to love Jesus the most. You want them to follow Jesus. You want them to follow the ways of, the, uh, of uh, holy things. You want them to be holy. Not loving things of the world. But what if your partner, your spouse, whatever, is teaching them to love unholy things? and embrace worldly things. Isn't that going to break your heart? It would break your heart. So four reasons I give are actually four what? Fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Christians produce these fruits, which is why it's important for us to be spiritually compatible with our spouse. Because both of you will love the Lord with all your heart. Both will experience the greatest joy of worshiping the Lord. You can enjoy peace in your home despite troubles in the world. You can exhibit patience as you lead your children to the Lord. So I hope if you're in love, I hope if you're heading towards marriage, you honestly evaluate your spiritual compatibility. 
Which brings me to the second question, well, what if I'm in this relationship and uh, they're not a Christian, but I think I can convince them to be a Christian? There's, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of this that, that's gone on uh, over the years. Um, I think I can convince them to be a Christian. My best response to this question is, what if you never do? What if you never do? Well, now you've entered into a relationship in which all those things I just talked about won't happen. You won't share the fruits of the Spirit. So that's a problem. Third question that uh, I think is sensitive is, what if I already married a non-Christian? Am I supposed to leave him or her? And the answer is no. In fact, the Bible speaks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'll take you there for a moment. As we wrap this up, it says, If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister in Christ is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? That's what I just said. How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, I must say, the wording of this does provide a little confusion because it, it seems to say that because you're a Christian, you're making holy your spouse that's not a Christian. And that's not what it's saying. Because when we take it in context of the whole Bible, we realize the Bible doesn't teach that at all. You can't save anyone. A person is saved, a person becomes a Christian by God's grace alone, through their faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. The only thing we do as Christians is testify to the truth. So that's really what's being taught here. You can't make your husband or your wife holy, but you can be holy as an example to them and to your children. It's your holiness and your faith and your witness that they will see every day that hopefully will lead them to their own salvation. And I have no doubt that if you're married to an unbeliever, you're praying for them every day, aren't you? Yes. And Jesus says that God delights in the perseverance of our prayers, the persistent prayers. He says, ask, seek, knock, when talking about prayer. He says in 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears it. It's all those prayers that aren't according to his will that we tend to often pray. But if he hears it, it's his will. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. So we pray, and we keep on praying, that unbelieving spouses, children, friends, family, will have their eyes open to the truth. Amen? Last question. How does this apply to all my relationships? Am I only supposed to be friends with Christians? No, not at all. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We have relationships with non-Christians, 
But here's the thing. We should limit their influence on us. We should limit our influence, their influence on us. Don't yoke up with them, definitely. For example, another application of this verse here is, is that you wouldn't want to enter into a business relationship with a non-Christian. That's a permanent yoke you're in. You don't want to do that. That can cause problems. So please, please, do not burden yourself with unequal yokes. Our goal as Christians is to be equally yoked in our relationships because that glorifies God. That glorifies God. And here again, please hear this again, the words of Jesus. He said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I feel like a message like this probably deserves a good hour of (laughs) Q&A. You might have some more questions that have popped up. You might have some thoughts. And I just encourage you, you can email me, you can put it on your connection card, you can mark that you want to talk, and and we can certainly sit down and and talk. Uh, I'm thankful to be able to have the time to do that. Um, But this is something I know that it may take some time to process, and you may really... Maybe your eyes were open for the first time. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not supposed to marry non-Christian. I'm supposed to be spiritually compatible. That might be new to you. So pray on that. Ask the Lord to, to help you work through that. And, and, and possibly my prayer more than anything is that if two people are here today, or one, and you heard this, that it prompts you to, to seek the Lord with your, with your partner with the one you're in love with. That's what happened with my wife and I. When we were dating, we were in a relationship that was not holy. We dated like most people date today, that, don't, that are not Christians, that are not honoring the Lord. And then our eyes were open to what he wanted, and we began to look into the Word and see how Christians are supposed to relate to one another. How, and, and when we saw that, we said, okay, let's put... Let's put the intimacy stuff on hold until we get married. And, and, and we honored God with our relationship. And that was a beautiful thing. God put us together on a path, and here we are. I mean, you know, 22 years later, uh, serving the Lord together. And um, what a blessing that is. Let me tell you, when you can serve the Lord with your spouse. Amen? Let's pray. Father... Thank you for your word today. May it change us. May I keep praying that prayer, Lord, that you would, you would make that difference in our lives. Father, I thank you for this church because I believe it's full of, of Christians, people seeking you, wanting to draw closer to you. And Lord, they won't take this message lightly, but they will consider it they'll pray on it, and they'll dive deeper into it. And maybe, Lord, maybe some will seek a different path and seek a path that that glorifies you. And I pray for that, God. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said...